Hey there, I'm Rachel Geringer, and you're tuned into Mountain Talk in its new time slot and format. From now on, Mountain Talk will be a half-hour show airing every Thursday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. April is National Poetry Month, and so we're bringing you two episodes chock-full of poetry written and read by Appalachian women. This is part two, and in it, we'll hear from Savannah Sippel, Ansel Elkins, and Georgella Lyon. We hope you enjoy it. I am Savannah Sippel, and I'm a writer from East Kentucky. I'm originally from Beattyville, and right now I live in Lexington. I am an assistant professor of English at Bluegrass Community and Technical College. Um, I've been there... This is my first full year at BCTC, and I have taught, um, actually taught at Hazard Community and Technical College for uh, eight to ten years, um, and, but I'm primarily a poet, but I'm also writing essays and maybe fiction. I don't know. Fiction is intimidating, but I'm a writer and a teacher, and... That's me. Hmm. Thank you. So my next question is kind of how and when did you find poetry? Did you know early on that you wanted to write it? Um, what was your kind of journey towards becoming a writer? Um, it started with reading. Um, I've always loved to read. I, as a little, little kid, I loved to be read too. Um I would check out books as tall as I was and take them home and be ready for a new stack in a week or half a week or whatever. And my, I mean, I would, if anyone would read to me, I would sit and listen to it. Um, But my mother and my grandmother both really sort of fostered that love of reading and that and Sesame Street. Um, (laughs) I loved Sesame Street and Sesame Street was all about language and storytelling. And so um, it started with that. And I started, I guess I started writing at some point close to my teenage years, probably before then. But um, I really just, and I'm not sure what it was about poetry that drew me to it. I spent a weekend actually at Transylvania for some student leadership thing in high school and was introduced through that to the poet Mary Oliver. Um, Her collection, DreamWork, was the first poetry collection I remember reading all the way through and um, made my mom stop on the way home and pick up a copy of it. I'm assuming at Joseph Best we found a copy um bookstores weren't anything I got to spend a lot of time in because there weren't any close to home but um got a copy of that book and I still have that copy it's worn out and covered in dirt and coffee stains and who knows what else but um from there I took creative writing classes in college and and that sort of just started it all um you know it went from being something that I really enjoyed and thought was fun to something that I wanted to take seriously and so ever since then um it's just you know it's become what I do 
I guess I wonder now if you would read some poems for us. Okay. So these poems are from my first book. And it was published just a little over a year ago. Um, the first one is called All I Know of Coal. This is what happens when you cut the world in two. It turns on you. We all die. Cancer, copper water, no money, meth, oxy, Percocet, loss. A job or love, too little or too much Jesus, mountain blasting zones where we blow ourselves apart. This next one is called Darling, You're a Stain. Darling, You're a Stain. Tobacco brown, round splashes on my hands, my arms. Smell of skull, wintergreen, lingers on my neck when you kiss on me. Every crevice, an open spit cup, every dark flake, a hickey. Your fat plug tucked between teeth and lip. My mouth, a pouch where you spread white patches, sores. I'm losing my voice. I've tried to wear you close as overalls, arms locked heavy over shoulders. I want to quit you cold turkey. But you stalk in spitting distance, and these yellowed stains on my fingers, your fire-cured taints on my teeth, I can't strip them, can't scour your heels away. The next one is called Pork Belly. Imagine you clutch the carving knife, slice it under and against your own ribs, one cut for every time they call you fat. Take that meat, preserve it with salt to season your beans. Pinto green. In your hands, a bucket. The fat sloshes, hot grease you collect in coffee cans, glass jars, your dreams dripping off your meat. This is poverty. You save every drop. Tell me, how many people you're trying to feed? This next one is called WWJD at the Bar. Jesus would take one look at her, suck in air, breathe out, dang, she's cute. Why are you standing here, sis? Go talk to her, ask for her number. Jesus would scribble his own, crooked on a cocktail napkin. Jesus would slide it her way, give her a slow wink. Say, I want to get to know you, honey. Let me buy you a drink. That was Savannah Sipple, a poet based in Lexington, Kentucky, but originally from Beattyville. You can find out more about her and her writing at savannahsipple.com. We continue this National Poetry Month episode of Mountain Talk with Ansel Elkins. Well, my name is Ansel Elkins, and um, I'm a poet currently living in, in Lexington here, and I'm, I'm teaching um, as a writer-in-residence at University of Kentucky, but I'm from Alabama, um, and and I grew up as the daughter of two journalists, um, and my mother's teacher now. But um, my father was a photojournalist, and I grew up really, you know, riding shotgun in in his car on weekends as he went on assignment, and learning to see a lot of people 
um, you know, a lot of um, how he saw people. Um, he was a son of sharecroppers in northern Alabama. And uh, and so it's kind of through his lens um, that I, you know, was able to really <clears throat> see the, you know, the lives of um, the working, the rural poor in Alabama. And, um, and that's really how I became a poet, you know, appreciating um, the, the lives of so many different people and how to look at them and how to talk with everyone and, uh, and see the dignity in their lives. Hmm. Well, the next question is kind of to, to ask you to dig a little bit more into the the journey towards becoming a poet. Um, did you know kind of as a as a kid that you wanted to write poetry? Did you um, have a moment where it first kind of clicked for you? What has that process been like in your life? Yeah, I think becoming a poet, I saw how my parents saw beauty and they taught me to see the world as beautiful and to see just kind of to awaken my senses uh, to beauty. And for my father, who was a photojournalist, I really, um, you know, was able to see, you know, dignity in all people from all walks of life. And then, you know, my mother, um, my, you know, we just, we, we walked a lot. We um, were in the, we, we grew up um, partially in the woods um, in rural Alabama, in Talladega County. And so I knew I wanted to be a poet um, as an early, at an early age because I'd see my mother, who was a single mother, um, and she was, she's a writer. Um, she's a fiction writer. But I saw her make time for, for poetry and for writing and for reading, and she would read aloud to us. And in, in winter, we lived in this little A-frame cabin um, out in Mumford, Alabama, and and it's um, and our 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 it, it wasn't a cabin; it was like a a, a little a little A-frame kind of cottage. But it um, we had um, a wood-burning stove that heated our house, and so I distinctly remember some of my best kind of um, reading experiences were reading beside that um, wood-burning stove. And when we kind of would all sit around it and there were beautiful, solitary kind of moments where we all retreated inside ourselves and, and read. And, um, and I love that kind of um, ritual of reading and of, of living outside, you know, cause we had this, we had this little back deck and my mother would even walk out there naked because we had three and a half acres and it was, you know, covered in woods, and so no one could see her. And hearing just all the crickets and the cicadas and the katydids and the tree frogs, you know, was such a part of my life. And um, and that beauty, you know, that I saw and heard and tasted where we live is what made me really become a poet. Hmm. Thank you for that. Um yeah, I think now if you'd be up for reading us a poem or two, that would be wonderful. Sure. Well, I was thinking of reading this poem that I wrote for the Academy of American Poets did something in con- conjunction with um, the National Park Service. And so I wrote this, um, I was asked to write a poem about the National Park in Alabama. And so I wrote about L- Little River Canyon 
Um, and so this poem is Native Memory. River was my first word after mama. I grew up with the names of rivers on my tongue, the Kusa, the Talapusa, the Black Warrior, the sound of their names as native to me as my own. I walked barefoot along the brow of Lookout Mountain with my father, where the little river carves its names through the canyons of sandstone and shale above Shinbone Valley, where the Cherokee stood on these same stones and cast their voices into the canyon below. You are here, a red arrow on the atlas tells me, at the edge of the bluff where young fools have carved their initials into giant oaks and spray-painted their names and dates on the canyon rocks, where human history is no more than a layer of stardust, thin as the fingernail of God. What the canyon holds in its hands, an old language spoken into the pines and carried downstream on wind and time, vanishing like footprints in ash. The mountain holds their sorrow in the marrow of its bones. The body remembers the scars of massacres, how the hawk ached to see family after family dragged by the roots from the land of their fathers. Someone survived to remember beyond the weight of wagons and their thousands of feet cutting a deep trail of grief. Someone survived to tell the story of this sorrow and where they left their homes and how the trees wept to see them go and where they crossed the river and where they whispered a prayer into their grandmother's eyes before she died and where it was along the road they buried her and where the oak stood whose roots grew around her bones and where it was that the wild persimmons grow and what it was she last said to her children and which child was to keep her memory alive and which child was to keep the language alive and weave the stories of this journey into song and when were the seasons of singing and what were the stories that go with the seasons that tell how to work and when to pray that tell when to dance and who made the day you are here where bloodlines and rivers are woven together i followed the river until i forgot my name and came here to the mouth of the canyon to swim in the rain and remember this, the most indigenous joy I know, to wade into the river naked among the moss and stones, to drink water from my hands and be alive in the river, the river saying, you are here, a daughter of stardust and time. And that's the end of that poem. Thank you so much. That was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, it feels good to read a poem aloud 
you know, and I, I, I feel this is something that I, I really want my students to do since we're apart now and um, can't meet in person is to, you know, feel that music in your body as you read a poem and, and just open yourself up to the experience of a poem and hold it within you. And I hope that my students really do, you know, um, you know, feel that kind of transformation by reading aloud. And it's something that, you know, I think can make us feel less alone as people in this moment in time where there's so much uncertainty and, you know, we're so far apart now and told to self-isolate or, you know, be very distant. And I, I feel that experience of reading poems aloud can really bring people together. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I, I can say even just listening to about six poets in the past two days, reading some of their poetry aloud has just been so comforting. <laughs> there's there's something oh, about wow. poetry in particular, I think, that in in um, really hard times can just be sort of a a reminder somehow um, of like staying yeah. present or something. I'm not sure what it is even, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, t I totally agree with you. I think that, um, that, you know, there's something about poetry that it, it kind of breaks being, you know, like the essence of being down to its bones. And so we're confronted you know, and hold our, you know, the, what it is essential about being human and being alive, um, the kind of those purest forms of joy and of sorrow and of laughter. It brings all of that, you know, it, it kind of summons it up within us. And so I think that that is, um, you know, that's really just hearing from you. It makes me want to, to hear from my students and hear what poems, you know, they're writing or they're reading. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for finding the time to hop on the phone with me and for sharing some of your poems. I appreciate it. Thanks, and good luck to you, and I hope you, you stay safe and healthy. Thank you. Yeah, you too. That was Ansel Elkins. She's a poet originally from Alabama, but based in Lexington, Kentucky. You can find more of her writing at anselelkins.net. Last, in part two of our National Poetry Month Mountain Talk, we'll hear from George L. Lyon. I'm George L. Lyon, and I'm a poet and a writer of all kinds of genres. Um, I grew up in Harlan County. Um, I live in Lexington now. I've lived in a number of other places as well. Um, in ordinary time, which we don't seem to be in now, I make my living as a freelance writer and teacher uh, in schools and libraries and uh, workshops and teacher institutes. Uh, a number of my books are for children, so that gives me um, that gives me a chance to be a visiting author, which is a a challenge and a pleasure and has really been. Uh, in many ways, a, a patron of my other writing because you know, poetry is income free. Um, so it's great to have uh, 
to have the children's books, um, which are so like poems, um, but but also help support help support us. I'm married to a musician, Steve Lyon, who's also a writer as well. I have two sons and one granddaughter, and a daughter-in-law, and uh, and a cat. That's us. <laughs> Got to include those cats. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. He's um, my personal assistant. Is he? Does he support the writing? Oh, yes. He, he supports it and lies down on it. <laughs> yeah. <It's> so helpful. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, um, I've been asking the folks who've talked to me for this show kind of what some of their early memories of realizing that they loved writing or loved poetry were and kind of about their journey towards becoming a poet. Um, my daddy, uh, loved poetry and, uh, and he and my mother had this book, which I have now that they got as a wedding present called 101 Famous Poems. And sometimes daddy would read a poem out loud and from that book, and it had little cameo portraits of everybody from Shakespeare to, uh, Sarah Teasdale to, Eugene Field. Um, and I loved it. I couldn't have told you uh, many times what the poem was. You know, I couldn't have summarized the poem, but I could have told you the feeling that the music of those words created in me. And I, I knew that was magic. Um, I didn't think of making poems, but I it was just a revelation to me. Um, and, and I love, he sang too. And I loved, I loved that. And my mother told stories. And so uh, those, all of those things went into, into my writing. But I remember I was in the third grade and I had a feeling um, that was way too big to keep inside. And I sat down and made a poem for it. And that moment, I and I can still remember the elation I felt when I had made something uh, out of words, and and I wasn't carrying that feeling in a burdensome way anymore. Um, so I don't I don't remember writing any poems, any more poems for a while uh, after that. But I remember. When I was in sixth grade, there was a poem in our literature book, um, which was Gerard Manley Hopkins' Spring and Fall to a Young Child. And I read it. Um, we never talked about the poetry in class, but I read it and um, I got so hot and so cold, I thought I was coming down with something. Um, and I didn't know until several days later when I read the poem again and the same thing happened that I was coming down with poetry, you know, that it had that kind of power. Um, and so, you know, then I began looking for it. And uh, and I think I, I think I started writing poems maybe the next year in seventh grade. 
and have gone on. Thank you. I wonder if you could read a few poems for us now. I would be most happy to. Um, and I thought, uh, given the the condition the world is in at the moment, I would read this poem, which is actually from my very first, it's the first poem in the first chapbook I published, which came out in 1983. Um, and it's based on things that two women I knew growing up said, but I made them into one woman in the book, in the poem. So it's called Her Words. You got to strap it on, she would say to me. There comes this hardship and you got to get on up the creek. There's others besides you. So you strap it on. Oh, you give St. Jude what he'll take. Handed over like persimmons with the frost on. It ain't nothing. There's more stones in that river than you've stepped on or are about to. Once your hands can get around sumac, once your feet know the lash of a snake, you'll strap it on. That's what a good neck and shoulders are for. In winter at the settlement school, our wet hair would freeze on the sleeping porch. And we'd wake up vain youngins that we were under blankets of real snow. Come Christmas, we'd walk 16 miles home to Redbird Mission, only once getting lost in the woods, snowed over down the wrong ridge. Nobody's asking for what ain't been done. Build against cold and death scalds the dark. You strap it on. There's strength in the binding. I scrubbed on a board. I know what it's about. Um, and this, uh, this poem also, I think, speaks to another aspect of the moment. And it's one of those poems where the title is also the first line. The meadow does not know about the stock market. Today, she is worth exactly what she was worth yesterday, a year ago, at creation. I don't mean property value, taxable assets. I mean milkweed and copper moths, honeybees, cow veg, king snakes. Meadow life is not money. What rises and falls here are stems and flowers, leaves, and fruit. No zigzag line of profit and panic, but the great wheel turning. Here God gives of her extravagance, and here, like Flicker, Viceroy, Dragonfly, we come into our inheritance. Um, One of the poet friends who influenced me deeply uh, was a woman named Lee Howard, who was from Clay County. And uh, she's really the person who said I could write in voices other than my own. 
and I so admired her book, The Last Unmind Vein, in which she does that. And she said, well, I know you've got voices in your head, just write them down. Um, and so we became fast friends and, uh, uh, but Lee died early and uh, this poem is in her voice um, based on a conversation we had at one point. It's called, Except for Just One Thing, Listening for Lee Howard's Voice. Well, George, the middle class has discovered biscuits. You can drive right through the golden arches and they'll give you one for 59 cents. Throw in a quarter or two more and they'll put sausage on it. A sausage biscuit like Beck used to take in his dinner bucket. Only mostly he took ham. I wonder what went with that bucket. Black lung got back. You know, I've lived in Portland for 18 years. Love the mountains and the ocean, biking and skiing. Love the house me and Tammy have. Love Tammy, God knows. Why, I don't even hate my job. Some days it's stupid, but it's never mean. I don't have to lie like Oak Ridge wanted me to. Don't have to change safety statistics in my reports to keep the nuclear folks happy. Yeah, life in Portland is great, except for just one thing. Well, two things. Okay, maybe three. These aren't my mountains. These aren't my people. And I can't write worth a damn. My voice is in Clay County with my mama. My love and my job are here. And even if I could come back and get work, and even if Tammy would come with me, which you know is about as likely as the rapture, how could a middle-aged dyke survive in that place? Only music takes me home. Um, and one more, this is just, uh, absurdity. Um, and it's called Lost. I'm searching online for the grave of my mother's baby brother, Jack, who died before his second birthday, around 1926, I think, probably of diphtheria. I believe they lived in Manchester, so I googled the local cemetery and am offered a chance to write a review. A review of the cemetery? Too quiet for my taste. Bothersome neighbors, not suitable for horseback riding. Then, unable to de-screen myself, I Google Rest Haven, where the rest of the family rests, only to discover that Rest Haven has a Facebook page. Lord help us, what kind of status gets posted there? Are the wrens and the catalpas below my parents' plot on Twitter? Are folks buried with their smartphones, hoping for one last text? Even at the edge of the grave, I make my song. Well, thank you so much for finding the time to hop on the phone with me today and to share some of your writing with us. Well, it's a pleasure. I think, uh, I think at this time, we, you know, we, we need, we need poetry. We need something that touches us to the quick uh, and, to, and to remind us of our full 
humanity and, and what it means to be alive, um, you know, beyond our own moment and our own dilemma. Um, so it's, it's revitalizing. That was George L. Lyon, former Kentucky Poet Laureate. You can find more of her writing at georgellalion.com. That's it for this episode of Mountain Talk, celebrating National Poetry Month. If you liked what you heard and you're itching to hear more Appalachian poetry, head over to our website at wmmt.org to listen to part one, which features Pauletta Hansel, Rebecca Gale Howell, and Rose McClarney. You can also find past episodes of Mountain Talk on SoundCloud or Stitcher. Music on this episode features the Dutch Cove String Band with a tune called The Greenville Waltz. That song comes off their album Sycamore Tea, released by Apple Shop's own June Apple Recordings in 1978. I've been your host, Rachel Geringer, and from all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening to Real People Radio. And please, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and stay healthy at home during these wild times.